Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. We are going to be reading from James 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is the word of God. Well, good morning. good morning. Surprise! It's it's too late to leave, friends. So <laughs> we'll know, and we'll be praying for y'all. No, uh, <laughs> I just have to I have to shout out my friend Balin, who just read the scripture because she is one of our amazing youth, <laughs> who every single Sunday at eleven o'clock is serving the children downstairs and they adore her and she is one of my heroes. So thank you, Valen, for giving so much of your time to children. Well, I have to address an elephant in the room before we get started. Was anybody else on Thursday at the brink of disaster because of the AT&T outage? Okay. So I adore my coworkers here. I love them as if they were my family. They did not meet my dramatic need in the way that I needed them to in that day. My phone was on SOS, SOS, and I was in high panic mode. Um, I, I later called Aisha, who's our Apple guru, and she said, no, there's an outage, and then the Lord filled me with peace. But in the beginning, I come in and I say to them, I'm like, my phone is on SOS. And one of my coworkers, who shall remain nameless, said, huh, weird. I said, huh, weird? You're not understanding me. My teenager is emailing me, which already you know that's an issue if they're emailing instead of texting, saying, I have no data. I have no data. Can you fix it? I'm like, mama is trying, baby. Mama is trying. I said to someone else, I'm like, clearly this is a spiritual attack. He is trying to steal my voice. Or at the very least, my wordle streak. And one of the other coworkers looks at me like this, and they went, what? And I said, you know what? You know what? Space is not being held for me here. (laughs) So sign them all up for the next time. How appropriate for what we're going through. But I hope that we're all marked safe, everybody's phones came back on, and we can go through and live our lives in joy. But... There may be some of you who do not know who I am, and now after that story, you may not want to, but that's okay. (laughs) But my name is Kate Zwiebelover, and I have the amazing privilege of being the kids pastor here with the Hope Collective. Um, And I wanted to, yeah. 
They bring me much joy and much pain as children tend to do, right? But I wanted to share a little bit about me because I think it's important about, uh, about what we're going to be talking about today. And as my friend always says, to say hello to me is to know me. So here we go. Um, I am married to Jim and I have two boys, 17 and 10. Their names are Sam and Brody. But here's a really important fact that you need to know about me. I grew up in the church. I have never not been in a church setting for all of my life since I was four years old. In fact, one of my very first memories is me walking up the stairs to go to my new four-year-old class taught by Mrs. Algman at First Baptist Church in Park Forest. And she came in, she gave me a hug, and the first thing she said is, we need to take your picture because we want everyone to know who you are and because names are important to God. She had me at Say Cheese. <laughs> my name was on the wall with my picture. But names are important to God, and we need to be known. So never underestimate the power of a four-year-old class teacher. You know I had to throw something in there about kids' ministry, so there you go. <laughs> Another piece that's very important, and spoiler work, this didn't work out, and it's okay, but um, I was training and had plans to be a big Broadway star. Um, I'm here, so clearly that went well. <laughs> But when I was a junior at Wheaton College, we had some students from another college come, and we had a five-day revival, very similar to what happened with Ashbury last year. And it was into that, in that revival that Jesus spoke to my heart very clearly and said that I was going to be in ministry. And I know it was the Holy Spirit because I had, a, I had nausea. He speaks to me in nausea. Anybody else? Like, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you're like, oh, I feel like I'm going to puke. It's because the Holy Spirit is asking you to do something. Um, but at the time, I thought the only two things you could do in ministry was be a lead pastor, heck no, not doing that, and or a missionary to a foreign land. If you know me at all, God didn't make me that way. So I didn't finally, I, I didn't understand what was going on, but I went home to the same church, stayed at that church my whole time, and my pastor said, you know what, there's this new thing called children's ministry, and they pay you for it. And so my interest was piqued. I had loved children my whole life, um, really passionate about them. They brought me such joy, and so I embarked on my journey to start being a children's pastor. So after I graduated from college, I moved to Idaho to start my first church. In true transparency, I thought I was applying to a church in Iowa. Um, <laughs> the eyes got me all Twitter-pated and I got confused. And I opened up the Atlas at some point. And Atlas, for those of you that don't remember, it's this book of maps. You didn't have a phone that you could look it up, okay? And I said, what is it? Why is Iowa all the way over there? Like, I didn't understand. Uh, but God worked, and I went to Idaho. I didn't know anybody uh, really far away and was there for three years and really started my journey on what it meant for my faith to be my own. Learned a lot about leadership, learned a lot about dairy farms. If you have any questions, I can help you out with that. They couldn't quite figure me out. I had a Chicago accent, and it freaked them out. But after that, I decided I wanted to come home. I missed my family. And so in 2001, I came to Alpine Chapel as the children's pastor. And it's called the Hope Collective now, in case you're not following me. Um, I met my husband here. I had my kids here. And it's been five years now that I've been back on staff as the kids' pastor. So here we are. Thank you. Broadway pays a little better, but whatever. So... I tell you this because I'm going to be 50 in July. I know, the mind boggles. Thank you. I said, how did I, I was young when I got here, but, and God and I have lived a lot of life together since that four-year-old class. Now, I spent the first 25 to 30 years of my life just trying to do everything I could not to tick God off. 
Has anybody else ever experienced that? Whatever I could do, I was a good girl. I grew up in the church. Let's just make sure that God is happy with me and everything else will be fine. In my darkest moments, many of them born out of stupid sin, God taught me about grace. I had a professor in college that was being interviewed, and the interviewer said to him, what is one thing that you have learned in your life? And he said, grace abounds. And that was 30 years ago, and God used that to permeate my heart in a way that I had never felt before, knowing that his grace abounds. It started the path to redemption, and it is my deep belief that one of my purposes here on this earth is for people to know that grace abounds. I am a grace addict. I have the tattoo, grace abounds, right? Yet, because of that, sometimes I tend to wander into the people-pleasing territory. Now, I am working on it, and I call myself a recovering people-pleaser. Now, I don't know if James was ever a people-pleaser. But if so, the brothers figured it out. Amen? Um, I don't feel any sense when I read the book of James that it smacks of codependency or (laughs) wanting anyone to say James just wants everybody to be happy? I don't get that when I talk about James, but here's what I love about James. Talk about a redemption story. Brother of Jesus, didn't get his mission, thought he was crazy probably. At one point in the scriptures, he, with his other brothers and his mom, go to Jesus when he's teaching and Jesus sends them away and says, my family is here. I'm the oldest. I have two younger brothers. I can feel that. Send them away. Away. I get it. I get it. Didn't know what Jesus was all about and yet Jesus rises from the dead. They reconnect. James understands it and becomes the father of the early church, James the Just. After Paul has his conversion experience, James is one of the first people that he goes to to talk about that. What an exciting way for God to work. So I can picture James. I can picture him sitting down after 20 years of watching the church become the church, picking up his pencil. It's not a pencil. I know. Don't write that down. It's fine. And out of it pours these words, almost as if he is saying, friends, I have been around. I have seen the blessings. I have seen the mistakes. I have lived them. The time it to wake up is now. I don't have time to be nice about it. Because every minute soft pedaling around it is another minute longer that we are not doing what God the Father has asked us to do. So listen up and take notice. Ready? Here we go. So in these last three weeks, we've been embarking on this journey called Wrecked. How do we avoid a life of ruin? We are doing this by going through the book of James. He lays out seven ways, and we will hit on all of those seven ways. Because here's what we do know. Wrecking things will come. We have been told, let's stop being surprised by it, shall we? But we can get our brains wrapped around these things that James is preaching about before it ruins us. More than that, do we have it as a priority? This is not a letter of suggestions that may work if you get around to it. So let's go back and talk about the last three weeks. So the first week, Alex Gowler introed it. If you haven't listened to it, go back. It's a great introduction on how to look at any book in the Bible, talking about author and audience and all of those things. Very important. He also shared with us that this is the important to do something now. James was very clear. This is the moment. Second week was about suffering, everyone's favorite topic to talk about. Suffering well. Heaven is real. Apparently, we need to sing more songs, and we all broke out into a choir. So that was fantastic. (laughs) If you missed it, listen, it was great. Last week, we talked about wisdom. How do we know when we find it? How can we get it? And how can we use it? If you have missed any of these, go back to our website and listen to it. Really important. 
Now, today we're going to look at the fourth chapter that Balin read for us. We're going to talk about single-hearted devotion, or in other words, don't be double-minded. Now, these are things that are important for me to share with you as we begin. James says in chapter 3, verse 1, that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And I want you to know that I take that very seriously, and I hold it very carefully, okay? But I want to encourage you guys, pray for your teachers. It is really a high calling when God is asking you to share text, to put it out there. So don't take out your pencils and your paper and write down all the things I say wrong today, but pray for your teachers. Pray for them as we talk to you in these things. Second, in Philippians 3.12, Philippians, the joy book, couldn't have done the theme on the joy book, had to do the theme on how to tick people off. (laughs) Whatever. But... Paul says this sentence that I love. He says, not that I've already attained this. That needs to be tattooed on the other arm. Not that I've already attained this. None of us are there, nor will we be until Jesus comes back. But when God puts something on your heart to share, you share it knowing that, okay? Now, all that being said, I didn't write James, so if you're offended, not my problem, okay? (laughs) Now, It's really easy when we read a book like James with a lot of lists and descriptor words and the whole, like, we can get into, well, at least I don't do that. Anybody? Just me? At least I don't. Thank you for being transparent this morning. But can we approach the scripture this morning with open hands and open hearts, with anticipation of what the Holy Spirit has already prepared for us to hear? Can we agree to do that this morning? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are before you today wanting to be single-minded, always frustrated at the devil-mindedness, and you know that, and you love us in spite of it. As we open our hands and our hearts to you today, fill them with your good word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, let's do a little background. This particular section of the book has echoes of what Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 24, which says this, no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, really, you can replace that money part with with anything that isn't from the Lord. The basic idea is if you think you can handle both, you are wrong, so stop trying to do it. Now, this letter has been written to people within the church. It's very important for us to remember this. This is not a manual for how you come to know Jesus. And I find it fascinating that we have a gazillion million letters from Paul and only one from the founding father of the early church. But frankly, this letter is a doozy. I don't know if I could handle volume two of James. So maybe God's grace worked through that. But there is so much meat in this book to digest that we will never be able to do it justice in eight weeks, right? Take time with it. Live and marinate it in a little bit, and your mind will be blown. Well, at this part of the book, James is calling out the fact that his brothers and sisters in the church are quarreling with one another. I'm sure that only happened then. That never happens here. And these quarrels start small, but they're starting to blow up the walls of the early church. Now, the foundation is secure. The foundation is Jesus Christ. But these disputes that James identifies are the roots of jealousy and bitterness that are starting to grow deep. In fact, James 3.16 says it was a basis of envy and selfish ambition that's calling disorder. Another way to put it, this is the new English translation, is where there is jealousy and selfishness, there is disorder and every evil practice. Now, as we get to the beginning of James chapter 4, James dives a little deeper into what this disorder is. It is a jealousy within us that is starting to seep out 
into the lives of others. He uses such big words as murderers, kill, covet. We fight because we can't have what we want. We ask God, but we ask him with impure motives, which shows that we are choosing to be focused on the thing and not on the Father. We can't even connect with him to know these things that are not from him. It is such a serious issue that James even goes so far as to call these brothers and sisters adulterous people who are not even picking up on the fact that friendship with the world is causing hatred towards God. Serious business. Now, before we get too haughty and say, thank goodness I don't do that, (laughs) or good Lord, I hope this person is listening because clearly the Holy Spirit is talking to them, Let us check our hearts. Let us get real. Let us take notice before we are wrecked and our life is in ruins. James is very clear in verses 9 and 10 what we need to do. This is what it says. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Okay? So there you go. We're done. Just go grieve Walmart. You're fine. Goodbye. No, not going to work that way. We have talked a lot about this topic. Remember the ladders from a couple months ago? Dave straddling them, one in the world, one in whatever. Same idea. Now, the Bible shows us several places where God is very clear that he needs to be the singular focus. One is Joshua 24, 14. Now fear the Lord, serve him with all faithfulness, throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped. Matthew 22. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with what? all your heart, soul, and mind. Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, anything that begins to, that belongs to your earthly nature. This one is a little bit of a doozy, so hang on. 1 John 2, don't love this evil world or the things in it. If you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasures, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from the world. Now here's the rub. Being double-minded is going to be in our lives until Jesus takes us home. It just is. We live on the earth. Satan prowls around looking for someone to devour. But here's the deal. Can we learn to recognize it quickly so that we can do away with it and turn our eyes back on Christ before our life becomes a life of ruin? How fast are we willing to turn our mind around to be more like Jesus? So what do we look for? So glad you asked. I want to pitch out to you a couple of things that should be red flags. This double-mindedness isn't something accidentally slip into, right? You're not like, I prayed all day and I fasted and all of a sudden, whoops, I don't know what happened, I'm worshiping an idol. No, does not happen this way. All of the sudden, there is a choice to be double-minded. Remember, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to brothers and sisters, right? So if you are one of the people like me who is great with saying, maybe this is the time that I will get it right, then hopefully this is going to be helpful to you. So let's look at a couple red flags, shall we? Red flag number one. When do we know that it's time to grieve and wail and mourn and humble ourselves? When we find we are trading the daily joy of the Lord for the highs of this world. Now, here are some watchwords that you can look for. I deserve it. I worked hard for it. I want it. It's not like the Bible says I can't dot, dot, dot. Now, let me be clear. Does God give us good gifts? Of course he does. But where is our focus? 
Are we focused on what Jesus is giving us or are we straddling that line between God and the world and thinking to ourselves, this time will be the time that I can manage it. I see that this is the wrong path, the wrong decision, the wrong idea, whatever, and we do it anyway. Now, please understand, we all have stories that play into this, okay? We all have wrestling. Addiction is real. If you are working through it with professionals or with a community group, then you are already in the process of humbling yourself. That is not what I am talking about. But sometimes we have a conscious choosing to indulge in the things of the world than the things of the Lord. We're constantly reaching for things that give us what we think we need in the moment. Sometimes it can be a slippery slope. We start with one processing story and we turn into full-blown gossip, right? Or you're talking to someone and they walk away, and maybe this is just me, but do you ever have people walk away from you and like, oh my gosh, I need something to eat. Anything? <laughs> give me a cookie to deal with my pain, Okay. Maybe that's just me. Or you're working tons of extra hours to buy all the toys, even though my kids barely know me because I'm never home, and the consequences of it are starting to show up in our relationships. But we will look cool, and we will have a lot of fun in the midst of it, and it will all be worth it. Are we indulging in the things of the world instead of the things of Jesus? Because please don't misunderstand, there is no high like the most high. There is no high like the most high. So that's red flag number one. Red flag number two, when do we start grieving, wailing, mourning? When we're discovering that we've stopped taking scripture seriously. Now, I'm not talking about good discussion and wrestling with scripture. Anyone who knows me knows that I, I preach this on a daily basis. Like, get in there. Get in the dirt. Ask the questions. Say the things to God. Say, I don't get it. I don't want it. I don't like it. That's fine. I mean, Pharisees knew the scriptures, friends. But I'm talking about having our ego in check, not having our ego in check, whether on the things of this world or on godly things. For instance, perhaps you don't believe the scripture when it says, stop being prideful because you will fall down. Stop doing that. Or maybe you're not watching your mouth and you're very good at biting up the other people around you all in the name of Jesus. Or thinking that Luke doesn't apply to you when it talks about secret sin because who is it really hurting? Now, I wanted to tell you a story about my secret sin, but I'm not going to tell you what the secret sin is. No, I'm kidding. I want to tell you a story. Um, I ended up at Wheaton College, but I first started at Illinois Wesleyan University for a year and a half. Now, I know we have alumni. You can clap. This is not about IWU, okay? Like, go. I don't even remember what they are, but go, go team, okay? Um, however, God was very clear to me, do not go there, go here. But I went there because I was following somebody. I'm sure nobody else knows what I'm talking about. And if you're in the midst of doing that, learn from me. Please don't do it. Okay. Now, one thing um, when I was in high school and started in um, college was that I, friends, I don't like to brag about myself, but I was a master liar. I mean, monuments could have been erected in my honor of how good I could lie. And at the time, I had broken pieces. I had my story. There were all this stuff. So the excuses were there. However, I had Jesus within me, and I remembered back when I was in church, this verse that says your sin will always find you out, right? Which is one of those scary verses that, you know, Sunday school teachers throw at you. Like, you messing around back there, your sin's going to find you out, okay? <laughs> Calm it down. Your sin will find you out, right? Okay, so this was ruminating it in my head, ruminating it in my head, but I was still telling these lies to get what I thought I needed because I didn't know what else to do with it. So I was at Wesleyan one night, and I decided to tell the big kahuna lie. It was huge. Now, at this point of the story, you're going to ask me, what was it? I'm not going to tell you. Do not come, I, no, off. seriously, every single time. 
do not come up to me afterwards and say, the Lord told me you'll feel better if I tell you what it is. I won't. You don't need to know. I told this to the Ignite kids a couple months ago, and they're like, oh. I'm like, like I'm going to give you all tips on how to lie better. It's not going to happen. But because I chose to deal with this, and I thought I had never been, fall, I, I'd never been found out, I won't be fouled out, my life exploded, and it was wrecked. My life went into ruins, and I am still dealing with the fracturedness of that day. Filled with such shame, such embarrassment, such fear that God didn't love me anymore. Not to mention the relationships that were wrecked and ruined from it. God is serious in scripture when he tells us the right from the wrong. Are we going to make mistakes? Of course. But can we turn around before our lives are wrecked? I mean, grace abounds, right? I mean, would I have still ended up in children's ministry? Of course. But maybe it would have taken me longer if I hadn't transferred. Would I have still understood this quote, grace abounds? Probably. But I might not have heard it in the same way. God always uses our stories for redemption. So here's red flag number three. When we become arrogant within our relationships within church for the sake of being right or holy, and we just don't care who we take down in the process. Now, friends, if I may be so bold, there's a times in the church where there's a lot of, you better shape up because the Lord told me, and very little, I have treated you unkindly, and I want to begin restoration. Now, let's insert all the caveats here, okay? Abuse is real. Spiritual abuse is real. Your story can play into that. I'm not talking about that. I have been in the church my entire life, and I can truly say that I have been hurt the worst from my brothers and sisters within the church. And I know today that's some of your stories, and maybe you're in the midst of it right now. I expect it from the world. I'm suited up. I have the armor. But the things that have been said to me or about me have been the worst from my family, especially if there's a disagreement. Now, Matthew 18 is very clear. Work it out this way. God put it out there. So let's do that. But we don't because we get on our soapboxes about, well, I'm just going to tell you this and I'll say the right pretty words so that you don't get as hurt as you think you should be. But I really want to be right in this situation or I really want to learn something new. It will lead us to a path of ruin if we keep going this way, slandering each other. So how do we do that? Here are some thoughts. Number one, knock it off. right? Acknowledge you're doing the wrong things. Make a conscious decision to stop indulging in things over the world and get the high of the most high, right? It's not a suggestion. It's a proven fact that if we don't stop, we will be wrecked. Can we come back from it? Sure. But why take the field trip if we don't need to? Do you know what I mean? When God tells you don't do this if, and you're like, let's just see if he's right. (laughs) Don't. All right. Number two, cry it out. Grieve over the sin. Grieve over it. Do the work you need to do. Go ask the forgiveness from your friend that you said something unkind to or someone that you were talking behind their back. Go fix those things. Fix those things. Then clean it up. The Bible talks a lot about creating me a clean heart. Wash our hands. You know, give me the things that I need to start over because he will. And fourth, lift up your hands. When you desire to be more like Jesus, you lift your hands up to him for help because when we humble ourselves, he will lift us up. It is one of those prayers that he always says yes to. Will you lift me up, Jesus? Of course. Now, I want you to picture with me. You're in this boat and you're going to shore and you see rocks everywhere and you choose to go into that full speed, 
I'm not a boat person, so I think you can really do that, right? I mean, I don't know. But it would be considered foolishness, I would think, correct? So it is with our lives. James is imploring us to stop and reroute. Do it now before this battle of sinful desires wins out and we find ourselves in the middle of a life of ruin. We will cross over, but come back fast. Now, I asked Alex and the team if they would play a little song for us because it's one of my favorites, but I wanted to open something up to you. You may find yourself in a time right now when your life is in a stage of ruin due to double-mindedness. You may find that you are on the cusp of choosing the high of the world over the most high. You may find yourself dealing with a secret sin right now that hasn't gotten out yet, but boy, it will, and when it does, hear me. Until you are dead and buried, Jesus always offers an invitation for redemption. He always offers an invitation for restoration. Grace abounds, friends. You just have to ask for it. So we're going to open this up now. I'm going to ask the band to come over and to play for us. This may be an opportunity for you to pray. This may be an opportunity for you to go to someone that you have hurt and apologize. This may be the opportunity to get with your small group that you kind of do with us all the time and start afresh. This may be an opportunity just to lift up our hands and say, God, I'm humbled. Lift me up. It's easy in these moments to let pride get in the way. It's easy because having grown up in the church, I feel like sometimes if people only knew me, if they only knew me when I was doing these things, if they only know what I struggle with, they would never let me preach again. If they only saw how I acted with certain people, there would never be an opportunity for me to work with the children for crying out loud. That's Satan. There is no holiness that is so holy you cannot approach God and say, I really just messed this up. Will you lift me up? He always says yes. So let's sing this song together. If you want to come forward, come forward. If you need prayer, we'll pray. But let's sing this together. song we could ever sing You're worthy of all the praise we could ever bring You're worthy of every breath we could ever bring We live for you Jesus, the name above the only one who could ever sing. He's worthy of every prayer we could ever pray. So we live for you. Oh, we live for you. We sing you're holy. There is no one like you. There is none beside you.
of the light. We bring our whole selves into the light. We are met with grace. Open us up to receive your love. Let us build our life from here up. We say, I will build my life upon your love. so that we could hear through the power of your Holy Spirit where you're putting your finger on something in our life that will wreak havoc, that will wreck us. And God, the call isn't to just lay it down, it's to come and be with you, to find strength in your presence to lay it down, to find power through your word to lay it down, to be in community, God, where accountability can take place. That God, all of that is about abiding in your presence so that you can deal with those spaces, but you've named them. 
God, some of those spaces need us to grieve, if not all. Some of those spaces, because they've gotten a foothold in our life, need us to chase down freedom because it was for freedom we were set free. Some of it needs us to get into therapy and counseling. Some of it, God, we just need to be obedient. God, I pray that whatever it is that causes us to lay it down, you would fill those places with your Holy Spirit. Bring us to single-minded devotion, the mind of Jesus, that we would walk in it. God, it is the spiritually formed people that will bring your kingdom to this world. And we want to be that people. Whatever's hindering, I pray you would let the weight of glory displace it. Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Kate, thank you for a powerful word. Don't miss next week as our youth pastor gets an opportunity to bring the word. And it's fun to hear from one another. We love you. Have a great week and go in Jesus. Amen. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.